First Peter chapter 2. Welcome. It has been a wonderful summer and transition into the fall, right? November 5th. And we've spent several weeks together looking at what the Bible teaches about. Uh, initially, you know, uh, it was designed to help all of us because the Lord blessed the move. And, and by golly, we doubled in size on a regular basis. Amen. Right, welcome, and we've just enjoyed several months, five months now, getting to know many of you, and many of you have stepped in to serve in various capacities, and man, it's just been a, a wonderful, wonderful five months together, and, and I really believe it, it's because we've been rooted in what Scripture says we're to be about as a church, right? And we saw at the very beginning that the church is made up of who? The people, right? The people. The church is the people. Fundamentally, those that have been saved by grace, the, the redeemed, right, if you want to call it that. But the church is the people. And if the church is the people, we've been trying to understand, okay, Lord, if I'm part of the church, I, in fact, I am the church. In fact, I never stop being the church. We're clearly through your word what your will is for my part in the church. Because here's the awesome, incredible thing. If each of us individually will simply listen to the Lord and then act on what he says we're to do as part of the church, the church will flourish. Amen? Amen? From the inside out, there'll be life, there'll be vitality, there'll be just this incredible movement of the Spirit, and it won't have this sense that, oh, Pastor Rich and the leadership, they're just driving, driving everyone around here, and it's just this hard-driving place, and we just do a lot, and there's a lot to do, right? A lot of churches inadvertently get caught up in the activity of it, And if we're not careful, the activity of church can actually be a substitute. We're busy in church, and a lot of people can come, and we can do fill up every week, Monday through Saturday if you wanted, and just be doing a lot. And everyone's like, woohoo, look at all the, look at the bulletin, look at everything happening. And yet, deep down, we might have this sense that, yeah, but, yeah, but, and, and, and if we're not careful, in church setting or even in, in my life or in your life as a believer, if we're not abiding in the vine, if we don't stay connected to Jesus individually and collectively, we can start to substitute even really good ministry for the Lord. And that's not what we want here. That's not what we want. And so that's why we've been sort of walking our way through, Lord, what is what is church we moved from 105 east topa topa to 1290 grand okay there's an element that church is an organization and you know there's some structure but fundamentally what do you want your church to be what are we supposed to be about and so collectively for many of you you've you've spent five months getting to know me getting to know the leadership hearing our heart for the church but here's the challenge sometimes the more we teach about the church if we're not careful we can almost kind of be lulled into complacency and familiarity. And it's almost like preaching to the choir. It's almost like, well, gosh, how long are we going to be in this series? I got it. Right? And, and, and I was thinking of that this week. And I said, Lord, there's so much in your, in your word about the church. How do, we, how do we guard against becoming overly familiar with Oh, it's another Sunday about the church, right? And, and I came across this article uh, just a couple days ago. New York Times, it was online. Maybe some of you saw it. And the title of the article 
right? It's called Season of the Witch. And this article was really about the resurgence of occultism and witchcraft, particularly in the millennials, but really across the board. And the article gave some really fascinating insight into why more to the occult, going to witchcraft, right? Even uh, when I first got here in Ojai 18 years ago, Wicca was really big. White witchcraft still might be big, right? Why do people gravitate towards there? And it's really interesting. And, and they were actually quoting people who, quite honestly, lead these teachings and, and actually teach people how to do this stuff. And, and it was really interesting because here's why they say many are going to the occult and into witchcraft right now. 2017, this article is November 3rd, right? New York Times. There's this general sense right now in culture that I'm powerless. There's a powerlessness. There's a despair. There's a hopelessness. Who's in charge? I don't have any control. It's never, I have no control over what's happening. So, so you add up powerlessness, hopelessness, despair. Who's in charge? The institutions around me are failing, right? And so what's happening is these people who are really feeling all these emotions, they're being deceived. They're being deceived. The same deception that happened in Genesis. When, when the devil showed up to, to Eve and said, hey, you know what? He cast doubt on God's character. And he said, in fact, what's the deception going out there today in this powerlessness, hopelessness, despair? Who's in charge? You know what people, why are they going to the occult and witchcraft? Power and control. They're looking for a sense of security. And through the activity, the, the spells and all this kind of stuff, what is happening is more and more people are being drawn to the occult. They're being deceived, just like Eve was deceived. You will be like God, right? When, when the world around you is crumbling and you're completely powerless and you have no control over what, what's going to happen tomorrow, come over here. We got the answer. It's happening all around this country from teenagers all the way up to millennials and beyond, simply because people in our culture right now, there's this deep, deep sense of despair and searching and anger and confusion and what's my meaning, what's my purpose. A lot of the things I was banking on, they've fallen by the wayside. And so you have this population out there looking for answers. And the occult is saying, come over here. We'll give you power. We'll give you control. You don't like someone? That's what they do. That's what they do. There is a whole occultic population that chants and throws hexes all over the place. It's a sense of power. It's a sense of power. It's trying to control Something that when you feel so lost. That is why we have to be the church. That is why it is absolutely important for us to understand in 1 Peter 2. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 9. 
You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were people... Not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's he saying there? He says, hey, church, you weren't just saved and just so you can come and thank you, thank you, thank you. Give me more, give me more, give me more. He said, no, you are a chosen people. You're a new creation. You're now my church so that the people still in darkness see you, see God by our lives. By our lives, we, this, this is actually a fabulous time to be part of the church. This is an incredible time, guys, to be a part of the church. Because the world being what it is, darkness being what it is, if we will just shine, people will take notice. Because they're watching you. They're watching me. They're around you at work. They're around you at home. They're around you at school, on the athletic team. They're watching. And if they know you are a believer, if you profess to be a Christian, they're really watching. They really are. Romans 15, 5 through 6 says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. He's talking to the church. As you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, church, be unified. Glorify Jesus. Amen? Think about that. And what does the word glorify mean? We saw it last week. To present an accurate picture of him. To present an accurate picture of who he is. That's what it is, to glorify God. To be a Christian, Christ, I-A-N, right? So there's Christ, the suffix is I-A-N, means belonging to, like a political party. So if you're a Christian, you belong to the party of or the person of Christ. So if you're walking around with this Christian label on, these verses are saying, hey, Make sure that your life is giving an accurate picture of him. Make sure that your words, make sure that what people see at work, at home, at school, on the athletic field, when you drive, (laughs) accurately portrays him. That's what it is to glorify God, is to give an accurate opinion of him. Parents, think about this. I was a youth pastor Many, many years, and it was one of the most challenging things for me as a youth pastor, was parents would kind of come with this mentality, here, fix my kid. One hour a week, can you fix him? Right? They would like send him to church for us to fix him. He needs some. I give you an hour and a half Wednesday. The challenging part was I knew what a lot of these kids, what home life they were going to. 
to parents who went to church and professed to be Christians, and yet at home, the, what, the lifestyle that was allowed completely undermined biblical values and biblical truth. And they wondered why their kids were confused. They wondered why we couldn't fix them. Well, we got them for an hour and a half once a week. They're with you the rest. You're the primary influencers, parents and grandparents maybe, right? In that setting, they're watching you. And they want to know, hmm, mom and dad profess to be Christians. What is this God really like? Does this really matter? Does this really make a difference? Or is it just once a week go to church thing? They're watching you. Right? It's a powerful thing. So you take that out of the context of home. Now take it to your life. Take, take it to the people, your neighbors. Take it to the people in your, in your circle of influence that know you're a believer. What are they seeing? Not about you. Take, take, shift here. This is very subtle. What are they seeing? Because it's not about you and it's not about me. The, the challenging part about this is that the American church has, has sort of slid into this, let me just come and let us just feed you. Because it's all about you. The music is designed for you. Kids' ministry is designed for you. Women's ministry is designed for you. Men's ministry is designed for you. Right? Everything is designed for you. And what has happened in the church is it's like, keep it coming. Just keep it coming. This is good. Right? When it's really not about us. He says, With one heart and mouth, glorify God. Everything we do here is to glorify God. It's to point people to God. That's what it's all about. That's what it should be for us as a church collectively. That's what it should be in my life and in your life as a believer. We're just sort of his representatives, right? Citizens of heaven, ambassadors of reconciliation. We're just kind of passing through. And our goal, our purpose, while we're passing through is to rightly portray him, give a correct opinion of him, not of us, right? I love the example of, of Jesus, right? What did Jesus say to Philip? Philip says in John 14, 8, you don't have to turn there. Philip says, Lord, he's talking to Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is our prime example. He came to planet earth to help us understand god in john it says he came full of grace and truth jesus mission with those who interact was hey you want to know god you want to know what he's like this new covenant god just watch me just come follow me his purpose was to seek and save the lost but also to show us more clearly who god is and that is so important for us to understand Because then you have purpose wherever you go. You're never off the clock, right? I've shared with you before, I grew up, and I would go to church. And as soon as church was over, what would I do? Go back to my life and live my way until it was next Sunday and it was time to go to church. Now you understand you never stop. There's this deep, joyful purpose in my life and in your life what to glorify god to to just port just accurately represent him to the world to the world right 
came across this noted Christian apologist. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Great, great apologist. He says, says the one question that has haunted him the, by a Hindu acquaintance. Here's the question, quote, If this conversion you speak about is truly supernatural, then why isn't it not more evident in the lives of so many Christians that I know? In other words, a God who is said to transform should produce people with transformed lives. So this Hindu acquaintance of Ravi Zacharias says, hey, if this is such an incredible supernatural act where people get transformed, I have a question. How come I don't see that? I'm not seeing that, right? And it says, I keep reading, it says, this apparently visible missing element in the church today has been pointed out by famous atheists, such as Frederick Nietzsche, who once remarked, quote, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers look more redeemed. Right? We forget, right? It was a wake-up call for me this week. If we're not careful, we get into our holy huddle and we get real comfortable and we celebrate a new facility and, and it's all good. It's all good. I'm not throwing rocks at it. But we forget that there's a population out there in despair and hopelessness looking for truth, looking for answers, and they're being deceived and they're going to the occult in droves. We have the truth. Do we? They're going to the occult and being deceived. When truth is, we have the truth. What did Nietzsche say? I might believe in this redeemer if more Christians act redeemed. We just got to be. If you believe it, then just act on it and just be. Just be. Because there's a world out there searching. Searching. Is it legit? Is it really? Or you just go to that place on 1290 grand and you guys sing songs and you feel good and you say hi. But does it really matter at work? Does it really matter Monday morning? Because that's where I really want it to matter. That's where I really need it to matter is Monday morning. This is where I, they're, they're searching not to find a good holy huddle, not to find good music, not to, they want to know if what we believe is true matters in the quote unquote real world. Amen. That's what they want to know. Does this really matter in the real world? That's what the world is asking. And the occult is saying, we got it. You feel in power? Here, here's a book. The church is called by God to declare his praise, to glorify him, to rightly portray him. That gives us purpose. That gives us purpose and meaning. This giving thanks uh, dinner that we're going to do, we're going to clear this place out. We're going to plan for over 100. If you guys invite friends, there might be 200 people here. Who knows? Great. This place is going to be filled with round tables and out in the patio. It's quite quite the undertaking. We've done it at the Wesleyan Church, and it was a blessing. Question, why do we do it? What's the point? To shine, right? But if we're not careful, because we always do it. It's tradition. 
because it's good food and I like it. (laughs) Nothing wrong at that level unless it stops at that level and you forget there is a world searching. And someone might come through these doors on Thanksgiving and be loved by this church and kind of go, well, if these people really love me, maybe there's a God who really loves me. If these people went to this extent and fed me, maybe there's a God who can meet my needs. It's not about us. Please understand that. We want people to come. You can come. You can enjoy fellowship as long as our purpose is to glorify him. That people leave with a better understanding of his character, not a better like, ooh, we got to come back to this place. I shared before, the minute the well becomes more important to you or to me than the glory of God, then we got to close the doors. Just close the doors because now it's an idol. Now it's just an idol. The more, when we become more concerned about this place, then we got to call time out. Because it's not about us. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We're citizens of heaven. We're just to rightly portray him. Amen? And that's freedom. Now, we might do a lot around here. Bill's doing more construction and, you know, lots happen. Youth ministry, children's ministry, a lot of good stuff is happening. We might end up doing a lot. But if it's rooted in making disciples for the glory of God, then so be it. And so be it. Just don't flip it. Just don't flip it. Because the world, the world doesn't need a glorified Kiwanis club. The, the world doesn't need a glorified social club. That's not what we are. That's not what we're called to be. Declare his praise with one heart and mouth to glorify him. Right? In your notes, I gave you some, some uh, areas. And we're going to look at this next week. Uh, in more detail, transformation. Let's do a quick Bible survey. Let's go to Matthew 5.16. Just look at some key verses. Matthew 5.16. Pretty, pretty simple to understand, but, but really profound at the heart level of motive. Why do we do what we do, right? Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give you all the applause that you can handle. Is that what that said? Right? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and just, just talk about how good the well is. Is that what that verse says? No, it says what? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise who? Your Father in heaven. Woo! I like that. Because it frees me up. Frees me up. Frees all of us up. Hey, we want you to praise our Father in heaven. He gave us this place. We're just taking care of it. Go to John 15, 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right? John 15, 8. Right, John fifteen eight. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Does he want us to bear much fruit in our life? 
Yes. Does he want us to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus? Why? This is to my father's glory. It's not about us. Why should you men, why should you want to come on Sunday nights to learn what it means to be a man of God? So that Bill can beat you up and make you feel really bad. And you can leave like, gosh, man, Bill, he's really mean, you know, and I I really feel bad. Why should we as men want to come Sunday night to learn what it means to be biblically a man of God? Is it just for us to walk out with man badges? I'm a man of God. Is that what it is? No. We come, men, to understand what it means biblically to be a man of God for whose glory? When you're a man of God, not here, when you're a man of God out there, the world is watching you. And they might go, my goodness, what got into Scott? (laughs) Scott, I knew you in high school. And you were not what you are now. What happened to you? Well, I'm a man of God. Is that what Scott's going to do? No. Hopefully he says, God. It's all God. I just give him the praise for changing me. And maybe this person who noticed the change will be drawn not to Scott, to God. Well, if he can do it in Scott, because Scott was woo in high school. <laughs> and the testimony of God transforming Scott brings this man hope. Brings this man some sense like, oh, maybe, maybe this is legit. Maybe it's just beyond him playing in the worship team and him going to that well place. Maybe, maybe this has helped Scott's marriage. Maybe this has transformed Scott's attitude. Huh. That's why we bear fruit. That's why we do what we do around here, to give him the glory, right? To give him the glory. It's in our obedience also, right? We looked at that in 2 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Peter 4.11. We can also glorify God in our service. This is really, this is kind of interesting. Different way to look at serving in the church. Very, very interesting. Look what it says. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. He's talking about gifts, that we've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to be used. Okay. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with all the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What he's talking about here, guys? See, usually in church when it comes to serving, we flipped it. Well, they need more child care workers. Here's the old pastor pitch for workers. You know, and, and, and we try to go really, really you know, if it's not too, Aubrey, if you can fit it in, just once a month. But if we get enough, but if we get enough, once every three months. And we do this hard sell about serving in the church. And we're like, where did that come from? Why do we feel like if we ask you to serve using your God-given gifts, you're going to conveniently miss that weekend that you were scheduled? Right? What? Where did that weirdness come from? Part of it is because we don't understand why we're supposed to serve. We, we shifted serving from praising and glorifying God to being inconvenienced. 4.11 says, and the, the point of this passage is when you use your God-given gift in God-given strength, he gets the glory. 
It changes your whole view of what you do around here. From commons, to vacuuming, to doing the bathrooms, to, thank you very much, the hedges on the other side. When you and I simply use our gifts and we serve, it gives him praise. Did you ever think about it that way? So if you're not using your gift, I'm going to let you deal with God. Because he gave you your gift to give him praise. Powerful transformation. Powerful reason for us to be in and doing and using what he's given us, right? And then finally, look at verse 16, 1 Peter 4, 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. In the New King James, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Even in our suffering, we can glorify God. And I think for many of us and many of your uh, non-believing family and friends, it's when you go through the suffering that they really perk up. Okay, how does a Christian handle suffering? Where's their God when they're in the valley? And 1 Peter 4.16 says, hey, you know what? Even in your suffering, you can glorify God. Because the world is watching you and me to see if what we proclaim on Sundays matters on Monday. They really want to know, can this God of the universe really help me through the suffering? I'm not talking you're going to be perfect, but it is an absolutely wonderful opportunity by your life to declare his praise. Amen? There's a a word that, that many of you know in church, and in fact, Romans 11, we call it a doxology. How many of you have ever heard the word doxology? Right? A doxology is made up of two words, doxa, right, and logos. Doxa means glory. Logos is saying. So a doxology is a glory saying. It's something that praises God. It's a glory saying. One way to look at our mission in life, guys, is we're to be a living doxology. Your life, my life, it should be a glory saying. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing, which is the study of God and can call it sound doctrine. Here's the thing. Theology without doxology, praise, can lead to just kind of a cold orthodoxy, legalism, right? It's all academic. If you have doxology, but you don't have theology sound grounding, then your Christianity can get all feelings generated and mystical and it's experience driven. See, on the one hand, theology without doxology, it's all in your head. And you just got to be right. And you have this, you know, I'm just right. And you can even become legalistic. If you have doxology without theology, ah, 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 make me feel good. I know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because it's all feelings. It's just, it's too much feelings. You have to have theology, sound theology should just in and of itself lead to doxology. Amen? you got to have both. you got to have both. See, the songs we sing here, when you see someone around here raising their hands, there's a freedom here because they're raising their hands in response to sound theology. Amen? 
You see what I'm saying? It feels good, and it's freedom, and you can, you can smile, and you can yes, and we can clap. But it's all rooted in sound theology. Praise God and give an accurate opinion of him. We need theology and doxology together. That might be a check for some of us. Are you one way or the other? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Because the world is watching us. The world is watching us. And for some of them, how many of you remember a song? Remember, God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a, from a distance. There's many people who have this sort of worldview. They believe that sort of there's this intelligent designer, maybe God, and he created this world and he spun it around and it's spinning and now he just does this. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Hmm. And they believe that God just watches us from a distance. And the point of these passages is no. He wants to use us to bring who he is on this planet to rightly portray him. Right? I was uh, thinking of, of how many of you enjoy constellations, astronomy, looking at the stars, right? So go ahead, Eileen. There's a constellation called Orion. How many of you know Orion? He's around here, right? Orion's here. You remember the three stars in the belt right there? And you kind of see him. He's a hunter with this, right? Orion. He might be up now, but December. Orion, right, looks really small in the sky. That constellation is 1,500 light years away. Now, let me put that in miles. 9,000 trillion miles away is that constellation. 9,000 trillion miles. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope has radically changed the ability for us to actually travel through and see things. So the Hubble telescope went to Orion, and just below like where that middle main star is, the Hubble telescope found the Orion Nebula. But I, the Orion Nebula, right there. In that Orion Nebula, there's this canyon of clouds, right? This, it's crazy. I can't even believe it. This canyon of clouds is 90 trillion miles across in there, right? Can't even understand that, 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 the hugeness of that, right? And what seemed really distant because of the Hubble telescope brings us right here. You can now see it. See, there's a lot of people right now, guys. They might feel like God is 9,000 trillion miles away from them. They're going through something, just wondering, is there a God? And if he is, is he 9,000 trillion miles away? And lo and behold, you are brought into that person's life as a spiritual Hubble telescope. <laughs> And by the way you live and love and care for them, they see a whole different picture of God. And he's right here because they're watching you and they're this close. You're this close. And it is an incredible privilege. Thank you, Eileen. It is an incredible privilege to be used by God in that way. Amen? To be used by God in that way. Someone who... who 
maybe a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, didn't even know if there was a God. And because of how you live your life with Jesus, suddenly they're like, what? What? God isn't 9,000 trillion miles away? I can have a new covenant relationship here in OI? Every day? Every day? You mean it's true he will never leave me nor forsake me? You mean it's true I'm a new creation? You mean it's true I've been given everything I need for life and godliness? You mean it's true he's pleased with me? And suddenly by your... God has brought this close to somebody's worldview. And they just might say, I want to know Jesus like you. I want that. I want that too. And it wasn't because you preached at him. It wasn't because you quoted verses. You know what it was? They might say this. It's because I've been watching you. I've been watching you. And there's something different about you. And I want that. And you have the privilege to introduce them to Jesus. A Jesus that they thought lived in history, very distant. And you're like, what? I thought he was just a historical figure. I thought he was just a prophet that, that, that just existed way back when. And you go, no, 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 no. He raised to life, and he's right here. Amen? He's right here. And you get to share Jesus through your testimony with them. That's what it means to live in doxology, to be a living doxology. What a privilege that is. What a privilege. And so what I wanted to do, Robert, come on up. Not only do we read doxologies, but there is a wonderful doxology that we sing to lead us in this a couple times. But here's the thing. I don't want you to sing this doxology just because you know it and it's a churchy tradition. What I want you to do before, and as we think about this, we'll pray, Robert, and then we'll sing it. I want you to sing this as a prayer, that your life would bring praise to him, that your life would be a doxology. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have chosen to use us as spiritual Hubble telescopes. There are people all around us in this community that are searching for answers and searching for truth. And Jesus, we know that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. So may we leave here, may we sing this song with purpose, may we sing this song with conviction that our lives would praise you, O God.